A father and his three-year-old daughter were trying to make the best of a long winter. To relieve her boredom, the father had encouraged the little girl to use their sparse living room for her gymnasium and for the center of her imaginary world. Now, all the room had in it was a large pillow. So the father set out to tell her a story about the pillow. And so he made up a story about a large pillow in a forest and animals that would come and play on the pillow. And then when all the animals slept, the pillow would go sleep with the clouds. Well, one night a huge wind blew away not only the clouds, but the pillow too. The animals couldn't find the pillow. Now the father was about to finish the story, but the direction he was going doesn't make any difference because the daughter pointed and said, and here it is in our living room. So ended the story. And I might add, I think it ended pretty well. That's a little of what happens when we read the stories in the Bible. Now we might think the Bible is about a time and place far away, maybe even a, a fanciful float in the air land that has nothing to do with us. But with a thump, the Bible story lands right here in this room where we gather for worship. Today, the entire text from the Bible is transferred here. Jesus, Peter, Judas, the whole crew. Peter, always spokesman for the Twelve, continues that function here. However, today he not only represents the other eleven, but us as well. I mean, we do the same as he did. Jesus comes to wash our feet, and we squirm away. Now, when we talk about such lofty things as Jesus loving us or dying for us, well, that's fine. But here he is shuffling over to us on his knees. And he doesn't have many clothes on either. <laughs> and he's reaching to our feet with his hands. Has your teacher touched your feet lately? Anybody touch your feet lately? Probably not, although I hear a nice pedicure is wonderful. People hear the story of Jesus washing feet and leap to the conclusion that it's tough being a foot washer. That certainly is. But when the story drops out of the clouds and into this room, it includes us. And we realize that for most of us, as for Peter, it's harder to have our feet washed than to wash others' feet. If Jesus is going to come around and wash us, well, that makes us the powerless recipients of this embarrassing service. We might even suggest to Jesus, how about if I carry the basin while you wash everyone else's feet? I can just hand you dry towels. I'm more comfortable just helping out. No, Jesus is insistent not only to Peter, but to each of us who are hyperventilating as Jesus approaches. He insists that he has to do something for us that we can't do for ourselves like set us right with God? <laughs> I mean, that's the message of the Reformation, isn't it? By grace alone. We can't earn our way to heaven with good works. It's only because of God's love for us that we get in. Salvation and faith are gifts. We can't climb up to heaven, so God stoops down to earth. What's really troubling, however, is that Peter, feeling squeezed into this room with others and looking down on Jesus, is forced to view God from a strange perspective. 
He's already been getting God and Jesus mixed up. Now God's no longer high above Peter, but below, serving him. God serves us, which isn't the same, however, as our wanting God to serve us, which we often do. I mean, we treat God like a lowly servant, handing in our grocery list of prayer requests. Here, God, would you take care of this for me? Pick up some milk, heal my illness, make my children a little more respectful. And oh, can you pick up the dry cleaning while you're at it? But then when we stop to think carefully about God, then our idea is a little more exalted. Oh, right, you are the king of the universe, creator of all things, Lord of lords and all that. For Peter then, getting his feet washed by God's representative on earth, seeing God lower himself to the level of a servant, smashes the picture he had of God. We can almost hear his former picture of God shattering into pieces on the floor next to Jesus' basin. So here we are beside Peter, and Jesus is at our feet, demonstrating God's basic nature. God serves. God is satisfied and fulfilled by serving. That's who he is from the inside out. And so as we watch Jesus working his way down the row of his students coming always closer to us, we realize that service isn't a trivial thing for others to do, or for us to do selectively for those whom we think deserve it, or for us to do when others can appreciate it. Service is God's nature. And so it's also God's true and original image upon us humans. Jesus says, if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Which means doing even menial things if that's what others need. Jesus goes so far as to, as to define selfless service as the one proof by which people will know his followers. He looks up at us today, our foot in his hand, and he states, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. For all the tests over the centuries that Christians have erected to determine who's a real Christian, Jesus points only to one, that we love one another as he loved us. With the basin and the towel, Jesus gave them and us an example of servant love. And then later at the cross, he gives us the gift of suffering love. And that's what we usually emphasize, these two loving events. But there's another truth here which we must not miss. When Peter resisted Jesus' gift of servant love, Jesus said, if I do not wash your feet, then you will have no part of me. So do you understand what Jesus was saying? He was saying that the willingness and the ability to receive is essential to relationship. If Peter refused to allow Jesus to give him something, well, they could have no meaningful relationship because relationship requires both giving and receiving. Now, you've heard me say again and again that life is about relationships. God created us to be in relationship with him and with others. So when you boil it all down, 
Life is only as good as the quality of our relationships. We're not to live in isolation, and we're not to be self-sufficient. We're to be interdependent. We give and receive. Others give and receive. And in all the receiving and giving, the relationships grow, and life becomes much more like what God intends. You know, I'm at the age where I don't see as well as I once did. I need glasses to read the small print. I need help. Now, I hate to admit it, but I do. And I'm not as strong as I once was either. I often ask my strapping boys, young men now really, to twist off jar lids or to lift heavy objects for me. I need help. <laughs> a time will come when they'll need to push me around in a wheelchair. Not soon, <laughs> but someday. We all need help. Babies need help. Little children need help. Even adults need help. We all need to receive. And the fact is, we cannot give unless we have first received. You see, our lives are not vast reservoirs of inexhaustible gifts for others. <clears throat> no, our supply of love, of caring, of helpfulness, of encouragement is limited. And we will exhaust our supply unless we're constantly restocking. It's no different than what's happening at the grocery stores these days. I mean, shelves are bare because of a disruption in the supply chain. You can't get certain stuff because they don't have it. <laughs> in the same way, if you aren't constantly receiving love, care, forgiveness, and help from God and others, well, then you'll have nothing to give. So the Bible reminds us that we love because God first loved us. What that scripture is saying is that <clears throat> whatever loving or giving we Christians are able to do, it's only the result of receiving from God. We simply pass on to others the gifts that we receive from Him. And we can be sure that we will soon run out of good things to give unless we continue to receive. That's why I keep reminding you that gathering together for worship and prayer and study and nurture is essential to the Christian life. You cannot live as an authentic Christian out there unless at the same time you're gathering with other Christians to receive all that God has to give in here. Our giving will soon exhaust our supply unless we're actively receiving. We receive because we need it. But finally, we also receive because others need to give. You see, when we're willing to receive from someone, we're acknowledging that they are persons of worth and that they have something valuable to give to us. So our receiving is, in reality, giving an important gift to them. Our willingness to receive sets up a two-way interchange which makes relationship possible. Every healthy relationship requires both, both giving and receiving from each partner in the relationship. When you love someone, you want to be able to give to them, right? But if the one you love thinks that he or she is self-sufficient and has no need of what we have to give, how do we express our love? So don't you see how that gets in the way of relationship? The channel through which love can flow has been cut off. 
No, there can be no meaningful relationship unless we're able to receive as well as give. It is blessed to give, that's true, but it's also blessed to receive. So let me close with something I heard once on a podcast from James McCormick, one of the pastors I listen to from time to time. An American woman, Elizabeth Bird, was vacationing in Scotland one year. While traveling through the countryside, she met a local farm woman, a Mrs. McIntosh. Mrs. McIntosh's husband was away at market. And well, the two women hit it off, so she invited Elizabeth to stay with her overnight. As soon as they arrived at the farmhouse, well, it began to rain and the wind began to blow. The storm had come from out of nowhere and it looked like it would be a big one. It wasn't very long before the electricity went out. The two women busied themselves with lighting candles and building a fire in the fireplace. There was a knock at the door and when Mrs. McIntosh opened it, there was a teenage boy from the neighboring farm. Well, he had been born with a deformed leg and had difficulty getting around. He walked with a serious limp. He explained that his father had tried to call to check on them, but the telephone lines were down. So this young man had come to see if they were all right. The American woman began to talk about how much he liked wind and rain and a roaring fire in the fireplace. Then you're not scared, he asked. Mrs. Bird started to say, No, we're not frightened. Everything is just fine. But before she could open her mouth, Mrs. McIntosh broke in saying, Of course she was scared and so was I. But now everything is fine. We have a man around. The boy broke into a big grin. I'll see that everything is snug, he said, as he moved toward the door. He felt like he was 10 feet tall. He felt very special as he left the farmhouse that night, all because a very wise Mrs. McIntosh had been willing to receive his gift. So, do you get it? We're called to serve even as God served us with the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus stooped down from heaven to earth all the way to the cross to die for us, and he continues to serve us with his gifts of love, caring, and forgiveness. We need to receive all these gifts and more, but others also need to experience the gift of giving because that's how relationships are made. Indeed, it is more blessed to give than to receive, but it's also blessed to receive so that others might give. May God grant it for Jesus' sake. Amen.